All right, you may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of Luke chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, then uh, I'm going to ask uh, Rob and Caden to, to pass one out. Just slip up your hand and we'll, we'll get you a Bible. You can open it up to Luke chapter 10. Everybody doing okay this morning? Man, it is good to see you all. I'm excited about this morning. It was good to meet you all as you came into the room. We have many guests here this morning. I want you to know that we are so thankful that you've chosen to spend this hour with us. We believe it could be the most powerful hour of your week. And so uh, you all look great. Look to your neighbor and say, you look great. Even if you don't mean it, just say it. It'll make them feel good still. I am in this series called Unique. And this is the third week in this four-week series called Unique. And two weeks ago, I talked about the uniqueness of being single. Last week, I talked about the uniqueness of marriage. And today, I, with some fear and a whole lot of respect, want to look into the scriptures to talk about womanhood. Yes, I've told several of my pastor friends that I'm going to be preaching on womanhood this morning, and they're like, oh man, you have a lot of courage. And I want you to know that I'm going to do my best to step to the side and just let you see from the scriptures that the being that God created that we call woman is unique and wonderful and beautiful. And really what we're going to do this morning is celebrate that fact. Can I get an amen from all the women? Oh, come on, ladies. This is about you this morning. You have to wake up a little bit. Can I get an amen from all the women? All right. Even a woohoo. That counts. All right. Very good. We, um, before I do, I do want to say one thing about something that happens in the life of our church that's very important. We have right now seven home groups that meet. These seven home groups are meeting at different times in different areas, kind of in and around uh, this area, if you are not in a home group, I want to encourage you to, to uh, take a step, to get involved. We believe that if you can get into a home group, that's where your greatest experience of the Lord Jesus Christ and the community of the church will happen. I mean, this is an important time as we gather in this way and we open up God's word and I declare the truth of God's word to you. It's very important as we sing songs to God. And, uh, but, I, but I've seen in, in 20 plus years of ministry that if you will get into a smaller group within the life of a church, you will experience the greatest joy uh, that you can experience in walking with Christ because you'll be encouraged, you'll be uh, held accountable, you'll be challenged in a way that you will really, uh, really, really love, okay? Just do this. If you are in a home group, would you just raise your hand? So we have quite a few people in home groups I would encourage you, if you're not in one, to find one that meets your schedule. And I get it. You're busy. I'm busy. There's no person that's in a home group that's not also very busy. But prioritizing that time to connect with people uh, will be very good for you, and it will be very good for what God's doing in the midst of our church. Okay? I think, no, we don't have a map, but I'll get you a map on where they all are. Okay? Womanhood. Now, here's what I want to say from the beginning regarding this topic of womanhood, uh, and, and then after I say a few things, what I'm going to do uh, is, is just give you uh, a strong um, theological sort of teaching on what the Bible says 
in its entirety on womanhood. And there are times when we as a church will take one passage and really just examine word for word and uh, point by point. But this morning, the way that I want to do this is I'm going to, to share a lot of scripture with you. And so it's going to be like a 50,000 foot teaching on this very important topic. And what I realize is that uh, there are many women in here. You have numerous worldviews and mindsets. All of you grew up in different homes with different expressions of womanhood. Um, You've experienced life differently as a woman. I personally have never experienced life as a woman. But you have. You've listened to different voices They've all shaped you in some way, your understanding of what it means to be a woman. You've listened to these different voices, and for some of you, some of these voices have been oppressive, and it's maybe hurt your understanding of you of what God intended when he created you as a woman. Others of you, you've experienced a voice that maybe was a little too licentious. You know what licentious means? It means there's, there's a little too much license, and, and uh, you're kind of flailing around trying to find your identity as a woman. There's so much beauty, this is what I want you to hear, there's so much beauty in your distinct differences as women, and I have no desire to make all of the women the same, none at all, because I don't think that's the way God designed it, and I don't think that's what he wants, and I would never do that because I'm not an idiot, okay? So I want to, here's how we're going to go. So I'm going to teach you from the Bible what God has said about womanhood that makes you unique, and then I want to encourage you to think about what has been my observation as a pastor and a friend to women throughout the years as the greatest area of temptation for a woman that could keep you from experiencing all that God has for you. And then in the end, what I'm going to do is exhort you with the gospel. Because really, for any of our hearts to change or to be transformed by God's spirit, it begins, continues, and ends with a more clear understanding of the good news of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do some heart work at the end. Okay, so first of all, let's look at the scriptures when it talks about womanhood. Do you know that in the beginning, God created a man and a woman? Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And something I want to say from the beginning is that a woman is distinctly different than a man. Can I get an amen? This is true, and we celebrate this. There's distinctive differences between a woman and a man. Now, next week, I'm going to talk to the men. But for this week, what I want you to see from the Scripture is that God has divinely ordained distinctions between men and women. And this is important because God did this ultimately as a great evidence of his presence in creation. So it's important that we, that we celebrate distinctive differences between a woman and a man. So you, you might ask, well, why in the world are you giving a sermon on womanhood? Does this conversation really matter? Well, absolutely it matters. Because what is happening, and this is why you should care, outside the church is there's this growing mindset 
that neuters gender. And it's, in essence, making the uniqueness of a woman and the uniqueness of a man irrelevant, which is absolutely not uh, God's design. So, and in response to that, what I think is happening is that there's a, a pressure as genders are kind of flailing around trying to find an identity, trying to find their place in, in God's design for, for women to either become more like men or for women to become more sexually licentious. And again, that means like provocative and, and that's their identity. I, I'm a woman, so what I am is sexual and I'm going to become a more sexual being in community and that's how I find my identity. What I want to say is that the Bible has something that is more healthy than that. A woman is a uniquely created being. Can I get an amen? Um, and there are some who would read the Bible and, um, and see stories and take them out of context and, and see that a woman is somehow oppressed or marginalized. But from the Bible, what we see is that women are by no means marginalized or relegated to any second-class status. The Bible teaches that in Christ, women are equal with men. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 says these words. Paul's writing to the church of Galatia. There's an issue of false teaching and what it means to be in Christ, in Christ alone, their salvation. And he says these words in chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Uh, Gentile would be like anybody that's not a Jew. Slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You're part of God's people. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you, men and women. But the Bible also teaches that women are set apart to be honored, to, to be held up, to be esteemed. The Bible does not... Uh, project this idea that women are to be left aside or marginalized or, or made less woman, but instead women are to be honored. And we see this really in, in the relationship between a husband and a wife in marriage. And I realize not all the women in here are married, but we cannot talk about womanhood in the Bible without talk, seeing the places where, where the description of a husband and a wife and how a husband is supposed to relate to a wife tells us something about women. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands must give honor to your wives. It doesn't say husbands should rule harshly over their wives. It does not say that, that husbands are to, to dominate their wives. Uh, it's because a woman is deserving of honor and of respect and esteem. You know what the word honor means in the Bible? The word honor means to hold up, to celebrate. To rejoice over. So when I think about the two women in my life that I am uh, responsible for honoring, it's my wife and my daughter. 
And what I want for them to grow up in the midst of, and the kind of church that I want for them to experience is the kind of church who has men that sees women as deserving of honor and respect, not because they're becoming more like men, or not because they're capable of being really sexual or sensual, but because they are special to God, created by God, deserving of honor. This is the kind of treatment that the Bible teaches us we ought to have for women. Husbands, thank you. You can amen all you want. I know some of you are guests. This is a good one, ladies. Let's hear you roar. All right, here we go. Husbands are commanded in marriage to love their wives sacrificially as Christ loves the church. There's no greater example of how we as a husband ought to honor and respect and esteem our wives, which says something about how all women ought to be treated, than when we read in Ephesians chapter 5 that Paul is telling the husbands and wives to relate like Christ loves, sacrifices for, gives himself up for a woman. This is a beautiful thing. The Bible in Proverbs chapter 12 verse 4 acknowledges and celebrates the priceless value of a virtuous woman. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, a worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like a cancer in his bones. A worthy wife is a crown. It's a good thing to be virtuous and to be um, respectful and respected as a woman. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies, which is very precious. Now, The Bible does say that men and women in Christ are equal, but that does not mean they're the same. So whenever we're tempted to think that the distinct differences between a man and woman uh, don't matter, that is not from the Bible. A woman is distinctly different than a man, not only physically, but in God's redemptive plan. A woman has a special place. And the mind-boggling truth is that womanhood and manhood, masculinity and femininity, belong at the center of God's ultimate purpose, which is why God created men and women uniquely different. We celebrate that. We applaud that. We promote that. Women have a special place in God's redemptive plan to glorify Jesus Christ. Do you know, it's interesting as we talk about Christianity, Because Christianity as a faith, as revealed by God through Christ, and we hear God's teaching about his design for human beings and his uh, redemptive purpose as we read the Bible, Christianity was born at the intersection of the East and the West, and what's really interesting to see about it is that it elevated the status of women to an unprecedented height. So whenever Jesus came on the scene, the way that he behaved towards women was scandalous. Because in that time period, women were either oppressed and marginalized, or they were objects of sexual pleasure. That's it. That's what happens when God's not involved. But when Jesus came on the scene, uh, his ministry included several women. And this, as a practice, was almost unheard of among the rabbis of his day. And he encouraged discipleship 
by portraying it as something more needful than what was typically understood to be a woman's role, which is just domestic service, you know, working around the house. That's how it was in this first century when Jesus came on scene. So look there in Luke chapter 10. I want to read you a story out of Luke's gospel, and it says something to us about what Jesus wants us as hearers of God's word to understand about the value importance of a woman. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38 is where we are. Andrew read it earlier, but I want to read it again. Now, as they went on their way, so Jesus is doing ministry. This is a period called his public ministry where he's going from village to village. He's announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God is working in the world in a way that's unique and special to reconcile people to himself through Uh, the finished work of Christ that's going to happen on the cross. So Jesus is going from village to village, and we can see something about the way that God thinks about women in the way that Jesus relates to women, the way that Jesus uh, interacts with women. So here we have in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, And listen to his teaching. Stop. This is scandalous. This is unbelievable. Here Jesus is a really becoming a respected rabbi. Not everybody understood him to be the Messiah, the long-awaited savior of mankind. But as a rabbi, going into a person's home, that was not uncommon. But for a woman to be allowed to sit at his feet to listen to his teaching and not just be in the kitchen preparing things for all the men as they're listening to Jesus, this is scandalous. What most rabbis would have done is tell Mary as a woman to go to her place. You hear that? And if you're a woman, that should create in you, and I know it does, it creates in you a sense of like, oh no, oh no. Don't go there. But Jesus is a revolutionary. Verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. So Martha was doing what women were, according to this time period and culture and their learning, they were supposed to do. Kind of stay out of the way. And Martha went up to Jesus, irritated, frustrated, having a difficult time with this idea that her sister, sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, says these words to Jesus. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and to find her place. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Here, of all places in the Gospels, we see Jesus celebrating the very special place that a woman has and allowing this woman to come to him just like a man would was revolutionary. Christianity as a faith celebrates the beauty the dignity, the distinctiveness, the uniqueness of a woman. And it didn't stop there. His very first uh, disclosure as, of himself as the Messiah 
was made to a woman in John chapter 4. He always treated women with dignity, even though women were oftentimes regarded as outcasts. Jesus blessed the women of children, or the children of women. Jesus took time to raise, raise the dead of these women. He forgave their sin. He restored their virtue and honor. And in doing so, he exalted the position of womanhood itself. And we see also in the early church that women became prominent in the ministry of the early church. Now, they had distinct roles in the early church. Their roles were not the same as men. We believe in equal worth, distinct role. But in the early church, we see women as very important, equally important in the ministry of the early church. On the day of Pentecost, which is the day that after Jesus has ascended into heaven, that that God sent the Holy Spirit from this point forward, all those that are in Christ would receive the Holy Spirit into their lives as a seal of their inheritance, according to Ephesians chapter 1. On the day of Pentecost, when the New Testament church was born, women were there. They were with the chief disciples, and they were praying, and they were alongside the men. So we celebrate this. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, uh, women were renowned for their good deeds. So the scripture sees women and, and what they could do or what they could offer God and his ultimate purpose as worthy of noting. Women were acknowledged for their hospitality. And we, I think, could all admit that, that women tend to be more capable of being hospitable. They're given a gift by God that I think accompanies their womanhood, what makes them more sensitive to the needs of the people that are around them. That's a beautiful thing. We celebrate it. Men are typically like, huh? And women are typically more like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Put that in your notes. Just like that. Tweet it. Whatever. Um, women were celebrated for sound doctrine, for their giftedness. Uh, John's second gospel, uh, epistle was addressed to prominent, a prominent woman in the early churches uh, as being she had a very important role. And, and it's interesting because Paul is sometimes characterized as being someone who oppressed women. And sometimes in our day, what churches do is they take Paul and they use that as, as a fodder for kind of oppressing women and pushing them to the side, side marginalizing them. And, and, um, and, and Paul did not do that. Paul, um, in those instances, would be falsely charactered by critics of Scripture as a chauvinist. But Paul regularly ministered alongside women. He recognized and applauded their faithfulness. One of the greatest leaders in the early church, Timothy, was led to Christ by women and discipled early on by women. He was led to Christ by his grandmother. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, talking to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So women have a beautiful, distinct purpose in God's redemptive plan. And that's not all. The mother of Jesus was a woman. She's esteemed in the scripture, selected by God for a very unique purpose. Other women in the Bible 
are held in positions of honor. Phoebe, Priscilla, Junius, Tryphenia, Tryphosa, Persis, Iodia, the daughters of Philip. These women mark uh, the fulfillment of what a prophecy that's in the Old Testament where Joel, the prophet, prophesied that there would be a day when God's spirit would be poured out on women and it happened through these women like these. We see in the early church that a woman has a unique role and that she ought to be a hard worker for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not just about what the men can do, it's about what women can do in God's redemptive purpose. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Phoebe is called a servant of the church. She worked in the church for God, for his glory. We, we celebrate this. So what I want you to hear as we examine very quickly what the Bible says about women is that women are unique and beautiful and to be celebrated and important. Do you, do you get that? So not only should this be an encouragement to the women in here, not only should it give you a sense of purpose and design and uh, identity in Christ, but for the men in here, we ought to see the women as something special created by God. And what we as men have an opportunity to do is honor them, celebrate them, encourage them. And if there's any part of us, and no doubt because we're still flawed human beings as men, there is a part of us that what we want to do is marginalize them or oppress them or cast them inside as unimportant. But that's not what the Bible does. So we're not going to do it. In this church, there is so much beauty in the women of our church. We celebrate that. We encourage it. We want to release the women to serve God fully and experience all that he has as beautifully designed and unique in God's redemptive purpose. But all that said, I believe there's a great temptation that most women, not all, most women have to resist. And if you do not resist this temptation, then what will ultimately happen is you will waste your unique opportunity as a woman. This one great temptation is comparison. Look to your neighbor and say, comparison. I felt the passion. <laughs> when I'm talking about comparison, this is the thing that I see... That, that, that neuters the beauty and the distinctiveness and God's special design for women more than any other thing is comparison. Comparison is the disordered desire for approval and for validation by something other than God. The reason I quickly let you in on what the Bible says as your beauty and uniqueness from God is because what you're all tempted to do is not to look at that, but to look at how you compare with everybody else. I see this. My daughter is eight. She's about to be nine. I see this in her already. It's in her wiring for her to compare herself to other girls in her grade, in her class. In fact, last night as I was putting her to bed, we were talking about her class and, and uh, just kind of having some fun as I was tickling her and then she was um, talking to me. Somehow we got in this conversation about another girl in her class who in her mind was smarter than her and was more loved by her teacher. 
which I find it hard to believe that anybody would be smarter to her or, or, than her. But of course, I'm her dad. And I'm supposed to think that. But I see it in a woman's design. Women tend to compare themselves. They compare, you compare your looks with another woman. And a woman can become enslaved by comparing her looks, comparing the way her body looks, the way her face looks, the way her body's made, her style and her fashion. Uh, some research has been done recently that I read about as I was preparing this sermon, and what it turns out is that women tend to care more about what other women think about how they look than other men. This is interesting. Maybe not true for everybody, maybe not true for everybody in here, but this is certainly an issue. If you are one of those that tends to compare yourself with other women, instead of looking at yourself in light of the revelation of God's word, then what you will do is miss out on what God has designed for you. It will trip you up, for sure. We compare, you may compare yourself to another woman. If you're a mom, you tend to compare your mom skills to other women. We call this the, the mommy wars. How do your kids compare with other women's kids. I know you do it. When you go to Chick-fil-A with your kids and they're behaving better than somebody else's kids. You know how it is at Chick-fil-A. You ever been there? Raise your hand if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A. See, most of you that don't have kids, you don't go because you're smart. I try to stay away from Chick-fil-A. It's too much pandemonium. I got four kids. I got enough craziness in my own home. I'm not going to Chick-fil-A spending $20 to sit in the playground. Okay. But I see this. Women... Or moms tend to compare their skills as a parent with other mothers. Your kid is behaving better, so you feel really good about yourself. Your, your kid is, is uh, not as smart, and so you tend to feel down about yourself. And ultimately what happens when moms compare themselves with other moms and their skill as a mom is that, that someone suffers, and typically the person that suffers is a child. Uh, women uh, tend to compare marriages. Your husband is better than somebody else's husband or smarter or better looking or, or you're, you're trying to push your husband to be more like this person or that person. And all that it does, ultimately, what comparison does is it leads to perfectionism. I mean, how could you ever be happy if everything has to be perfect? And what will happen to you as a woman is you'll be distracted and you'll miss out on God's beautiful design for you. How can you ever rest as a woman if you tend to compare yourself with other women? How could you ever feel at peace? Our mission as a church is we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Maybe for you as a woman, what's keeping you from experiencing the peace of life with Jesus Christ is you're caught up in comparing yourself, your ability to parent, um, the way you look, the way, whether or not you're successful at your job with other women. Let it never be so. You are not perfect, women, and you don't have to be. There's a lot of pressure for you to be perfect, to look perfect, to act perfect, but you don't have to be. Comparison is you trying to convince people that you have it all together, and this is not what God expects of you. In fact, the places where you clearly do not have it together are a great example of why Jesus had to come. Do you know Jesus came because people are not perfect? We'll never meet the standard of perfection. Never. This is why God became flesh 
and laid his life down on a cross is because you and I as human beings will never be perfect. If we compare ourselves to other people, there will always be inadequacies. But if we focus on that, if you as a woman focus on that, what you will do maybe is lose a sense of the beauty and the distinctiveness of yourself as a woman in God's redemptive purpose. Comparison. It's killing some of you. Do you feel it? You're beautiful. You're important. You are special in God's redemptive purpose. And so we as a community of faith, what we want to do is celebrate you as a woman. We want to honor you. We want to hold you up. We want as husbands to relate to our wives as Christ's love and related to the church, serving and respecting and sacrificing for and working hard for because you are special in God's purpose and God's design. You are unique. I want you to wallow in that. I want you to rest in that. You do not have to be perfect. And in your perfection or your tendency to look at something other than God's designed for you, when you see imperfection, what it ought to do is not make you feel down. It ought to cause you to celebrate that Jesus came because you're not perfect. I just have a few more things to say about womanhood. But I want you to understand this charge I charge you as your pastor and for those of you that are guests to our church as your friend in the presence of the Lord be a strong godly woman who works who works hard to use every ounce of your womanhood for the glory of God be the opposite of a wimpy woman who flails around trying to find your unique identity in this culture uh, Stop that. Be a strong, godly woman like Mary Durant. Mary Durant was the opposite of a a wimpy woman. Fourteen-year-old Mary Durant was a French Christian in the 17th century who was arrested for being a Protestant and told she could be released if she said one phrase, I reject Christ. Rather than rejecting Christ in her jail cell, she waited for 38 years until she died being a strong woman, recognizing that her identity was not in anything other than Christ. Be a strong woman like Gladys and Esther Staines. These two women, in 1999, after serving with their husbands in India for three decades, learned that, or Gladys Staines learned that her husband and two sons, Philip and Timothy, had been set on fire and burned alive by the very people that they had sought to serve for 34 years. Gladys Staines was a strong woman. Her identity was not in her circumstance. 
It was not in comparing herself to other people. Her identity was in God alone. And so when she heard of her husband and her two sons being burned alive by the people she sought to love and minister to in the name of Christ, she says these words, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. The opposite of a wimpy woman is Gladys' daughter, a 13-year-old Esther, who said when she found out that her father and brothers had been burned, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. How could these women be so strong? It's because their identity was not in comparing themselves to someone else. They weren't caught up in their own imperfections. But their identity was what, in what the Bible celebrates as them being uniquely created by God for a purpose. Will you be a strong woman? And you say, I feel incomplete or I feel like I'm falling short and I don't see myself as special to God. Maybe that's you here this morning. And what I could do is give you two or three kind of moral adjustments where, where if you did this tomorrow morning, if you woke up and, and um, you know, spoke some words, positive words to yourself, or you watched more Oprah, or you um, did something else that would make a moral adjustment in your life that somehow you'd feel better about yourself. But let me tell you this, I would rather give you something that will actually transform your heart. And here it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the Bible says? In the beginning, when God created male and female, he created them perfectly. They related to God perfectly in his presence. There was peace. There was shalom. But the woman and the man rebelled against God. They disobeyed God. So what entered into humanity is sin, according to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin has affected all human beings. And the story of the Old Testament is God's story of beginning to reconcile people to himself, people that were imperfect, fallen, failed. It's a story of, of God wanting to take our hearts of stone, our hearts that want to compare ourselves to other people, our hearts that want to try to prove ourselves to God, take these hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, hearts that are tender, recognizing that, hey, we are imperfect. And in our imperfection, it begs for the need of a Savior. And God sent a Savior, and his name is Jesus. You see, ladies, there's a lot of places that you can go to feel better about your womanhood. There's a lot of pressures that you can give into. But what I want you to feel this morning is that God sent Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be rescued from having to compare yourself to anyone else, to rescue you from having to be perfect. This is the gospel. You were dead in your sin, but God rescued you through Christ. And by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved of a life of having to compare yourself to other people. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that transforms. This is the gospel that gives you the identity that you get to experience so that you can live the purpose that God has designed you for. This is the good news of the Bible. Will you receive Christ for the first time or maybe again, so that your heart can be transformed, so that you can find your place in God's redemptive purpose, so that you, rather than responding to what the culture says to you about 
your role or your, your, your purpose as a woman as, as needing to become more like a man or, or needing to become more sexual and more provocative so you can get attention. Forget all of that. In Christ, your purpose, your design, the role that you play in God's redemptive purpose is to bring glory to him. So the remainder of your days as a woman, as we as men learn how to respect and honor and celebrate and hold you up and fan the flame of love in your heart for Jesus Christ so that the remainder of your days you can experience the peace of life with Christ so that you can live in the good works that God has for you. Will you accept that biblical teaching on womanhood? I hope and pray you will.